0: In this week's in ear insights, let's talk about deepening our access to the hiring pool, expanding who is potentially uh, could be working in analytics or data science or management consulting or any of the the fields that we talk about, and about attitude and aptitude. One of the things that came up in a discussion recently was trying to find non traditional candidates, folks who you know don't have the whole hit the ground running kind of thing. Because in today's labor market, finding people who can hit the ground running is going to cost you a substantial uh, premium because you have to basically lure people away from other uh, jobs. One of the things that I remember, Katie, from our days working together at an agency was when we were looking at candidates to, to work on our team, Uh, we weren't always looking for people who could hit the ground running, because frankly, the agency we worked for at the time couldn't afford it. Um, So we were instead looking for people who had a good attitude and an aptitude for analytics, uh, uh, and understanding that they wouldn't have the skills or the experience. But those are teachable things, you know, helping somebody develop an aptitude for something they don't like, that is not really a teachable thing. Um, So my question to you is, when we look at non-traditional pools people for example like veterans um part-time moms uh, people with disabilities etc um uh, people from uh, economically disadvantaged backgrounds how do you find out whether somebody has an aptitude say for analytics if they have no experience they have no skills but they they might have that knack for it. they might have you know deep inside them with you know some some training and some some uh coaching they might have like a, a full database architect in there somewhere. But right now, they you know, they, they're just fresh out of the army or whatever. How do you how do you suss that out?
1: I love this question, because I feel like, as humans, all of us humans, we're so quick to make snap judgments about people based on the little bit of information we know about them. And as a hiring manager, it's especially difficult to not make those snap judgments. But you have such a limited amount of time to get to know someone and whether or not they can do the job that you kind of have to. And so the way in which I would recommend approaching, finding out if someone has the right attitude and the right aptitude, maybe for a job they've never done, is you have to get to know the person. So forget about their work experience, quite honestly, because anybody can put together a resume that says I worked at this company and I did these five things, you know, and it's always going to be the same jargon of, you know, assisted and, you know, created like whatever the thing is, like whatever the buzzwords are on the resume, ditch the resume. So just like put that aside and talk to the person. The things you want to dig into is, uh, it's a couple of things. You want to understand what they like to do for fun. So that's one part of it. So their hobbies can be really telling in terms of the kind of attitude uh, they might have, and then their aptitude is getting a better sense of how they live their daily life. Um, Are they the person who's in charge of the finances? So obviously, you know, you can't ask, like, well, how much are your finances and how often do you balance your checkbook, but like, just getting a general sense of what they do on a daily basis to manage themselves, their household, their families, you know, whatever it is, like, are they the planner of the friend group? Are they the ones who if everybody wants to get together, they are the person who organizes all of the people they pick the restaurant, they send out the, you know, text chain of what time they're getting together. They also link to the menu at the restaurant, they have one friend who's vegan, one friend who's gluten free. So they figured out all of those things ahead of time, and found options that work for everybody, like, In that, I'm describing a very particular set of skills without the person ever having been, you know, an office manager or a project manager, you know, but based on that information, the likelihood of them being able to perform that job function is pretty high, because that's how they operate. They have a natural tendency to be that person, you know, spoiler, I'm that person. Um, You know, I'm the person who someone says, Okay, we want to do x great, I'm going to do the research, I'm going to plan it out, I'm going to send out the reminders to everybody, I'm going to make sure that I know who's attending, that everyone knows how to get there, where they can park, how to get there on time, like, all of those details. And that naturally lends itself to me being a strong project manager. Does that make sense?
0: It, It does make sense. It reminds me of a talk that we give, I'm sure it's on the Trust Insights website somewhere, of sort of the soft skills of a data scientist because a lot of the time data science skills, again, you teach somebody how to push buttons, but teaching somebody uh, how to be a more patient individual is is really, it's very challenging. It's it's really out of the purview of the workplace because that's more like personal development rather than professional development. Uh, for reference, the, the seven skills of a, a good data scientist, you know, the first person thing is person has to be open minded, they have to not have preconceived notions about everything. So in an interview process, Katie, how would you? How would you determine like this person is an open minded person, where as opposed to this person is and a and a, a, a closed minded person who just wants to check things off the, the to do list and, and doesn't really feel like exploring?
1: I feel like well, so two things one. So while this is the seven qualities of good data scientist, I feel like these are seven qualities of just a really good employee and human in general. And so I feel like this list, you know, can be agnostic of a role or an industry or a particular, I keep saying a particular set of skills and I have Liam Neeson in my head. If I could do accents, (laughs) I would, but trust me, you don't want me to do that. I digress anyway. So the question about how do you know if somebody's open, this is where you can start to, um, describe scenarios. And so think about, you know, our elementary school, and then middle school, like math classes, where they would give you these really complicated math problems in the form of a story. And so you can approach it that way, not necessarily having them do calculations, depends on the job. um, But give them scenarios um, where, you know, it's not to trap them or trick them, but just to, to sort of see, you know, how they feel about it, it can, it doesn't even have to be a workplace scenario, maybe you're asking about something that happened recently, you know, in the news, or something that was trending on a social media platform, ask them their opinion about that, you know, just open ended, let them talk, let them sort of get their thoughts out, that will tell you a lot about how they think and how they approach it. So, you know, let's just say, for example, um, You know, oh gosh, I can't even think of an example off the top of my head. Like maybe it's, oh, did you see the latest post from Trust Insights on, you know, data scientists? What did you think about it? And so the way in which they answer, you know, oh, you know, I thought it was really interesting. It really got me thinking about the following three things. Oh, what do you think about those three things? Well, you know, honestly, I don't know yet. I need to do some research. Or, I thought it was a terrible post, you know, it has nothing to do with data science, and I think they're completely wrong. And so, you know, obviously, I'm giving super quick examples for the sake of, you know, the length of this podcast. But the point being is, you can ask questions that are not related to the job that will help you understand the kind of person uh, you're interviewing and the way in which they think. I mean, maybe, You say, oh, you know, I was uh, meeting up with my sister the other day and she, you know, told me that she accidentally backed into someone's car and then she drove away. Can you believe it? And then just sort of see the way in which the person responds. They're like, oh, my goodness, I hope she's okay. Or, oh, lady drivers. I know. You know, two very different responses, but it starts to tell you a bit about the person's character.
0: Gotcha. That's where I, the a lot of these questions, the sort of uh, describe a time questions come in, right? So describe a time when you presented information you didn't agree with and, and how you reacted to it.
1: I will say there's a problem with that. Okay. Because what you just said to me was, tell me how you acted correctly, even if you didn't. Because okay. you said, describe a time where you were presented with information that wasn't correct. So me as the person being given that question, I'm like, Oh, so they want to know how honorable I am with data. So let me go ahead and tell them what they want to hear. It's a good question. But you just have to know that it's a leading question.
0: Okay, how would you rephrase that to focus on the trait of openness?
1: Um, you know, it may be an opportunity to bring up, you know, an example of a data set, you know, so let's say you're hiring a data scientist, you can give them, you know, stock standard example, you know, dummy data or uh, anonymized data, and sort of walk through the scenario, be like, Oh, so here's an example of a data set that we might be pulling for one of our clients. Um, You know, what questions would you have about this data set? And you can see, like, if they're saying, like, well, you know, how was it collected? Or, you know, uh, what's the context? What's the question they're trying to answer? this gives you an opportunity to say, well, you know, they were trying to demonstrate conversion rates. And so we counseled them to say, this isn't the best data to use for conversion rates. And they said, but it makes our conversion rates look really good. That's an opportunity to then say, all right, so what would you how would you respond to that? So you're still setting up the it's the wrong data question, or it's misrepresenting. But you're giving them a little bit more space to answer like, oh, well, if the client is saying that's what they want, then that's what they get. Or, you know, an opportunity to say, well, I might take a step back and really try to dig in and find the correct data sets, those kinds of things.
0: I feel like that would be very challenging for somebody who, again, we're talking people with no experience and no skills. That kind of question would be very flummoxing to them.
1: So you can take it into a different in a different case. Okay, so let's say, you know, uh, you're buying a car. And online, it says it's $25,000. But then you go to the dealership, and it's $27,000. You know, how do you handle that misrepresentation? Uh, do you tell them? Are you someone who would say to the, you know, manager at the dealership, hey, there's a different price point right here? Or are you someone who just be like, you know what, I just need the car. Let me go ahead and pay the extra $2,000. Um, you know, again, super quick example, but think about it in the context of real life, because theoretically the skills and the ways in which you approach your job every day are the same ways that you approach your life. And so think about non work questions, you know, you can phrase them as, you know, uh, something around their pets, find out what their interests are, and then build the questions around those things, because they'll tend to have more of a point of reference.
0: Gotcha. Most of the other traits on here are things that you can suss out through behavioral things, asking somebody, for example, about a time when uh, they faced a major setback, you know, how did they, uh, how did they move past to test someone's resilience, um, asking someone what books they read or what, uh, you know, what content they consume is a way to determine their level of curiosity, particularly if it's anything that could be work related asking someone uh, a time when uh, they they need to be exceptionally patient, how they manage to, to do that, you know, tests patience, uh, asking someone what they did, you know, to, to keep going on something, pretty straightforward for persistence, asking somebody, you know, what they do, what they love outside of work, um, what mm-hmm. their hobbies are, tests, sort of that passionate thing. The one that I think is difficult to uh, assess is that humility, that, that humbleness, because it's one of those traits where, if you say it, it's probably not true, right? Oh, I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> it just comes across as well. That's clearly not true. Um, how do you how do you dig at that one?
1: Again, I feel like it's sort of the you know playing out the scenarios of you know what would you do in this situation, um, and you don't have to outright say like I want to know how humble you are. Um, you know, so Mm. let's say, or, you know, actually, a really good way um, to figure this out is listen, you don't have to necessarily ask a question about humility. But as you're asking about the tell me about a time with your team, tell me about a time with, you know, your family, whatever, listen to how they describe it. And so there's a big difference between I and we. So if every story they tell is just me, me, me all about me, it's my company, it's my website, it's my course, it's, you know, my accomplishment, it's my this, there's not a whole lot of humility. Whereas if someone is like, Oh, you know, well, I worked with a team, and we worked really hard to build this thing, you know, they stayed up late, if someone is describing other people in a story, outside of them, if they are not the sole focus of the story, like the star, then that's a really good indicator that they definitely have that team mentality that they have that humility and you know it's like oh you know i saw that the agency that you used to work for uh you know won a bunch of awards yeah you know my team worked really hard we you know really tried to submit like or yeah you know i worked my ass off and i was the only one who was like submitting for these awards like you didn't ask if they were humble but that kind of a you know listening to what they're saying will tell you the answer to that question it's the me versus we
0: gotcha. No, that that's I think that's useful but again particularly for folks who don't have skills who don't have experience just listening to what their life experiences uh, have been up to that point. Once you've gotten through some of the behavioral stuff in terms of the sort of the, the I guess the the soft skills, how do you determine if somebody has the potential to have the hard skills? So, uh, for example, uh, the ability to do multiple regression analysis, or and the ability to write code, the ability to do these things—these are are very teachable skills. But again, we're talking about somebody who, <clears throat> you know, just came back from maternity leave or from you know raising their kid. Uh, you know, in the last ten years, they've been out of the workforce. Um, they their skills are 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 pretty far out of date, but they're obviously teachable. They're, they're learn- they they can learn quickly. How do you determine like yes, this person could pick up how to code in Python um, without, you know, knowing the fact that there's no basis on which to, to make that comparison.
1: If they have demonstrated an interest in learning it, then I think, you know, I see no problem with actually showing them examples and walking it through with them be like, okay, so this is what Python code looks like. It's a set of logic statements. It's a bunch of if then statements. And so let's say you're hiring, you know, someone to learn how to code in Python, then maybe you ask them, uh, you know, not Python questions, but logic questions. You know, if you need to get to from point A to point B, what do you do? What is the most efficient way to get to from point A to point B? You know, I'm sure if you did a web search of logic questions, you know, you could come up with a bunch of different questions. And that will give you aptitude of whether or not somebody can put together, you know, that if this, then that kind of statements that coding requires, because coding is just basically a bunch of actions until you get to an outcome. You know, find this library, do this command, uh, change this color, you know, you know, calculate this thing. So you can ask them logic, big questions to see if they have the aptitude. Okay,
0: and then in terms of setting expectations, how do you set expectations realistically for that person um, knowing that you know for example, writing Python code is a career unto itself right it is, is a, a full profession being a database architect is a profession. Um, these professions are not things that you despite the advertisements we all see online they're not something you can take a six-week crash course in and you know become an expert in in six weeks right it's like a six-week crash course in dentistry i'd prefer not to go to that dentist i'd prefer to someone who went to went to actual dental school um how do you set expectations for the person and then how do you set expectations for your team and your company that this new person that you've you're probably going to hire is not going to hit the ground running and it's going to take time to get up to speed.
1: So you have to reverse it. First, you have to set expectations with your company and your team, and then you can set those same expectations with the person. So you need to have those, you know, really honest conversations with, you know, upper management, middle management, whoever is going to be impacted by this hire and say, are we okay, with not having this skill on day one on day five on day 30. But knowing that little by little, we will start to have it. And so then it's your job to do your due diligence to say, Okay, on day 30, my expectation is that this person can write a simple Python code that does a, you know, this kind of a calculation. And so you start to set those milestones internally. And then as you're communicating to the new hire, you say, this is our expectation. We know that you have never coded in Python before, but we think it's realistic that by day 30, you should be able to perform X function. So that's the success measure that we're going to, you know, grade you on, for example. However, between day zero and day 30, we need to be constantly communicating to see, oh, know, there's a hiccup here, or it's not as straightforward, but you as the new employee, need to tell us where you're getting blocked. And so there's a couple of different expectations that you're setting, you're telling the person, we expect you to learn this thing. But secondly, you have to be constantly transparent with how it's going. If you feel like that timeline is not realistic, you need to help us understand why And you need to help us understand what you will be able to do by day 30, so that I can then go back to my team and say, Okay, it's day 30. Here's what we can actually do. And then, you know, prior to bringing on this person, you need to have a little bit of a backup plan to say, if on day 30, this person can't do this thing, how do we then manage either without it? Or how do we have pull somebody from a different team who can do it? And so having those backup plans for the person who's hitting those milestones, and then being explicitly clear about what those milestones are
0: so what would that look like pretend you are both the manager and the candidate and you're saying hey katie's new Mm -hmm. she's she seems awesome she needs to start coding in r Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um because that's what we you know that's what trust insights runs all of its data science platforming on what is your professional development plan for katie the new hire to learn r knowing yourself knowing what you can do personally
1: Yep. So I would say, you know, let's say, for example, I hired me um, to code in R for the agency, but I've never done it before. So, as the hiring manager, as the manager of the team, I need to have an understanding, not fully of uh, how R works, but just sort of what's realistic, you know, within certain timeframes to learn. And then I start to break that down for the new hire you know, week by week, day by day to say, if I expect you to be here on day 30, here's where you need to be at week three, here's where you need to be at week two. So you start to work backward for that timeline, just like you would for any other project plan, it's really what it is, it's a project plan. And so on day one, the first thing we need you to do is, you know, set up your machine, make sure you have R installed, make sure that you know how to log into it, and you know how to log into the various different pieces. So that's day one day two. Okay, here's a bunch of documentation I want you to read day three. Here's the, you know, uh, simple exercise that I want you to go through, you know, so on, so forth. So you start to build it out that way. And that gives both you the hiring manager, literally like a checklist, are they checking the boxes? And if not, why not? And then as the new employee, like, okay, I understand exactly what it is I need to do. I can work against this. And if for some reason, I'm finding this to be super easy. I can work ahead or if I'm finding it to be super difficult, I have to raise my hand and say, I don't understand this. I need another three days on this one piece.
0: That sounds like though, almost ideal circumstances. Suppose that, you know, Katie, you're, you're, you're the new employee. Um, and you get, you get partnered with Chris, who's the the developer who, um, uh, has the penchant for not documenting anything. <laughs> How?
1: <laughs> I mean, you t- you didn't tell me I had to work under non-ideal situations,
0: <laughs> but this is fairly common. And yeah. so, in that situation, as the new employee with no skills yeah. in this area, you haven't maybe have the aptitude, but you have no skills, you've almost been set up to fail you know in a way by being partnered with a a substantially subpar mentor. um God, how? How do we help solve the situation knowing we can't stop everything? We can't make Chris, the incompetent developer document all of his code, right? Because that would take months Um, in that situation. How do you still pull success from the jaws of defeat?
1: Um, So first of all, I don't look at that as defeat. I don't look at that as being set up for failure because you have an opportunity to set everybody up for success. And so let's say Chris has been doing what he's been doing for 20 years he's set in his ways, he's likely not going to change. But he's an outstanding developer. So you are okay with those bad habits. It's an opportunity for this new hire to say, Okay, so we're going to pair you with Chris who really knows his stuff. But documentation admin is not his thing. Here's a really great opportunity for you to see what goes into it by having you do some of that documentation. And so internally, the first thing you need to do is prioritize what are the pieces of coding are that are the most important, the first things that someone needs to know, and then give them the opportunity to document it. Because as far as learning goes, you know, I'm, you know, quoting some statistic somewhere, some scientific study somewhere, I'm sure it exists, but you tend to retain more information as you're writing information down and learning it versus someone just, you know, saying it at you. So it's that repetition and sort of going into your brain of, you know, step one, do this step two, do this. So you are kind of accomplishing two things at once, you're getting that documentation done, and you're teaching the new hire what they need to know about the job, because they're getting that firsthand experience. Now, that approach is going to take longer, however, it is going to be more thorough. So you know, Chris is looking for a junior analyst to get, you know, hit the ground running day one, you then have to have that conversation with Chris to say, that's not going to happen. And here is why. And here's how you have contributed to that. So moving forward, if you would like to hire someone new to hit the ground running, here's what you as an employee need to do to set them up for success.
0: That is that is brilliant. That is essentially teaching somebody to cook by having them write the cookbook.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and that is, that is, if there's no other takeaway from this entire conversation, that is the most straightforward path towards a resolving undocumented issues <clears throat> um, and b getting somebody up to speed by t- helping them understand how something is made. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that that right there is is the big takeaway from this entire conversation. If you've got somebody who you think you could grow into a role,
1: mm-hmm.
0: have them start writing the cookbook
1: and I would also say c, it forces the mentor. slow down a little bit. And teach, really teach and really sort of examine their own process and say, Oh, you know what, I haven't been doing this the right way for, you know, six months, there's probably a better way to do it. So, you know, again, sort of an ideal situation where the person that they're partnered with, can slow down, you may just find someone who's just like a perpetual grumpy pants, and doesn't want to slow down and doesn't want to teach and say, I don't have time to teach any of this. And that's fine. Then the conversation you have with perpetual grumpy pants is, then I can never bring help into your team. Then you will forever need to be doing this by yourself. Here is the compromise of what you need to do perpetual grumpy pants in order to get another analyst to help you do this thing. It has to be a give and a take. Like, the person who's stuck in their ways will just be stuck. Unless they themselves learn to be a little bit more adaptable.
0: I am changing my username to perpetual grumpy
1: pants. I, you know, I may have had you in mind when I thought about one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) if you have some suggestions for how you get people up to speed who have no skills, but clearly are a good cultural fit, where you have the aptitude and the attitude, um, role. Let us know how you've helped them succeed. Pop on over to our free slack group, go to trustinsightsai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 2500 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show. Uh, if there's a platform you'd rather have it on go to trustinsights.ai slash ti podcast and you can uh, find the show and all those other places. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>